Hello and welcome back to Fertility Talks, the Therapy Fertility Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Von Medin, and this season I'll be sitting down with none other than the Medical Director of Therapy Fertility, Dr. John Kennedy. Each week we will be chatting all things fertility, trying to conceive, and much, much more. We hope that through this series, through honest conversation and information, we can strip away some of the stigma that sometimes comes hand in hand with infertility and fertility treatment in Ireland. This week, we are going to be talking about myth busting. What is necessary and what is not? All of those add-ons, extras, and all those things that many people who are going through fertility treatment sometimes do to try and increase their chances of success. Things like acupuncture, supplements, infusions, and much, much more. Yep. Um, So what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to ask you, like I'm going to pose to you okay. a potential um, things that one might do yep. when going through treatment and you're going to tell me your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this this is the one that's going to get get me and get us into trouble. Um, this, is go- this one is going to be controversial. It and is. We're going to be hated for this. I think there's a huge segment of people who are just going to hate us for this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to preface and caveat everything that happens afterwards as being the opinion of me yeah, and the organization that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people, medical professionals and otherwise, who would disagree with me, who would go in a different direction. What I'm trying to do in my own practice and what we're doing is work off an evidence-based, proper evidence-based medicine where we can and trying to maybe strip away some of the noise that comes with a lot of things that people do that we'll get into i'm sure i also think it's important to understand why in medicine and especially in fertility you have so much extra stuff that's Mm. used some of which has really really no evidence behind it at all and before we get into the specifics you'll find that an awful lot of these things that we talk about can be justified under the banner of won't do any harm and might do some good. And I think you've got to be really, really careful with that ideology because it can be used to justify almost anything. And I, and I think a lot of people aren't respectful enough of the hidden costs, not mm. just the small financial costs of extra treatments or supplements or anything like that, but also the emotional and psychological toll it takes on the person when they're investing that in them. And the other thing to, to preface it with is most of the women that I would see coming through fertility treatment and coming through the clinic and coming through our doors are very used to living their lives on a curve where the reward they get is commensurate with the effort they put in. Mm. You know, and and a lot of people are like that, that when you want something bad enough and you work hard enough, you get it. And if you don't get it, if you're being completely honest with yourself, maybe you didn't want it hard enough. Maybe you could have tried harder. Maybe, maybe you, you didn't have, do enough. Maybe you didn't do enough yourself or you can look and see where you could have done more. Mm. That whole ethos gets thrown out the window when it comes to fertility. Mm. You have these women and couples who are overwhelmingly committed to the process, who will do anything, will tear a kidney and hand it to you to get the result mm. of having a child. And they are completely unused to being out of control of the outcome. And where that is so apparent and where it's so obvious, the temptation is to try to seize control back Mm. in any way that you can. And I think an awful lot of add-ons and an awful lot of peripheral things become really important to people because they can exert control over those areas and they act as a proxy or a surrogate marker for for what will happen more centrally Mm. with respect to the fertility treatment. And I have absolute respect for that I can see it's a very human thing to do but if you're going to provide care medical care health care you have to be really straight about it mm. you know yeah so. and it's understandable like you know personally just having gone through the process that you know if someone tells you that eating a particular fruit is going to increase your chance of success well of course you're going to do it of course you know how, so. how, can, how can you not I suppose the trouble starts when when we started talking about things that are going to kind of really hit you financially. And as you say, there's all these other sort of costs that are involved. Okay, so um, one of the things that a lot of clinics offer Mm -hmm. and therapy do not 
is embryo glue. Yeah. Um, what is embryo glue? Why would someone use it? And what are your thoughts on that? So um, the first thing I always say about <laughs> embryo glue is is that the person who came up with the name of it, and it was an embryologist, <laughs> Canadian embryologist called David Gardner, actually. Um, uh, he, he deserves a medal for the name. I mean, what a brilliant name. I just know? get this... Like every time I hear it, I just get this image of someone just like <laughs> shoving a load of like white PVA glue. Not since the term baby aspirin was coined for, for, <laughs> for prevention of miscarriage has there been such a delightful name for a product, embryo glue. Uh, who doesn't want to glue their embryo in? That sounds like better than, you know, <laughs> Well, Teflon. it sounds like a um, no-brainer, doesn't so, it? So, yeah. So what embryo glue is, it's a liquid, it's a medium that the embryo sits in, in the dish before... You put the embryo in for transfer and a tiny, tiny amount of it goes in with the uh, with the embryo. Mm. The idea is it contains a product called hyaluronic acid. It breaks down, helps break down the mucus and helps the embryo to implant into the wall of the womb. Again, theoretical, theoretically, it makes an awful lot of sense. You can see why it would increase live birth rates. And the early trials in it were promising mm. and showed, hey, you know what? Maybe implantation rates do kick up with this and maybe it's improvement. The later trials, as is so often the case in fertility, fail to demonstrate. The later better trials, mm. I would argue, fail to demonstrate any difference at all in outcome. So, so it's it, not going to do anything it bad. Doesn't, it doesn't. It's not going to do There was one early trial that suggested that if the embryo sat in the glue for too long, it could have a detrimental okay. effect. But nobody's really doing that. So yeah. no, it's not. Again, probably not going to do any harm. Um doesn't add a huge amount of cost. Generally speaking, if you're going to use embryo glue, it'll cost you anywhere between 50 and 150 euro to add it to a cycle. Mm. You're paying thousands of euro for a cycle. So yeah, so a lot of people just... It's like getting yeah. the induction hob when you do your kitchen, you know, it's, it's <laughs> yes, in for it's a penny, in for a pound. same thing, John. <laughs> right. The exact same right. thing. <laughs> Genius. Um, but once you're committed, you know, you think, well, why wouldn't I? And the reason we, we debate it a lot putting embryo glue on mm. because I think it's one that's relatively closer to the might potentially be useful mm. line than a lot of the other stuff that's out there but we know in our heart of hearts that the evidence says it doesn't increase the chance of having a baby yeah it's impossible to offer it with the compelling name and the relatively low price point it's incredibly difficult to have that on your list of offerings mm. and not have people take it yeah so it just felt like yeah, it wasn't the right thing to do. And I will say some insider information here. I have it on good authority from embryologists <laughs> on, in the know and on the oh. inside that within a lot of that community, that they don't really rate it. There's a lot of controversy about yeah. it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very easy sell. Mm. I haven't had anybody I've ever spoken to about embryo glue, and I used it for years, uh, say, that sounds terrible. I don't want that. Yeah, because it sounds like a good idea it in awesome. theory. It sounds okay. awesome. Mm -hmm. so, okay. Yeah. This is another one that's going to be very controversial. And that is the use of, of intralipids and infusions. So, so again, yeah. what, what is that and why would so someone use it? Intralipids is, uh, is an emulsification. It's a fat-based fluid. Uh, it looks like milk. It's not milk, um, but it looks like milk. It comes in a bag, an intravenous bag. And it would be given to people who need it intravenous, parenteral intravenous nutrition. That's, that's its original use. It has been shown in some studies to reduce natural killer cells or to change and modulate natural killer cell activity. Now, what the hell are natural killer cells? Well, natural killer cells, if embryo glue is a brilliant name, uh, for, for something natural killer cells is a terrible name. They get an awful kicking because natural killer cells, they sound awful. Natural killer cells are a subset of your white cells, which are part of your immune system, <coughs> Excuse me, which go around your body and they mop up potentially dangerous cells, potentially precancerous cells and things like that. That's, that's essentially their role. We know two things for a fact pretty well. We know that people with certain elevated natural killer cell levels have an increased chance of miscarriage and failure with fertility treatment. We also know that there are treatments, be it blood thinners, steroids, intralipids would be one. There's others, there's things like TNF-alpha inhibitors, things like Humira that you would use in rheumatoid arthritis. Hydroxychloroquine got used for a while, that got a, you know. 
very similar overlap in, in, in those two worlds in, in places, which have been shown to reduce natural killer cell levels. So you have, on one hand, this thing that's associated with a poorer outcome, and on the other hand, you've got this thing that can treat the thing that's associated mm -hmm. with a poorer outcome. So it makes, okay. theoretically, it makes perfect sense both to look for natural killer cells, either in the peripheral circulation or in the womb, and it also makes perfect sense to treat them, theoretically. Okay. Here's the downside. All we know is there's a correlation between these elevated natural killer cells and the poorer outcomes. So we know they seem to go up and down at a similar-ish rate. There's something that happens in science, and it also happens especially in medicine, called a spurious correlation. There's loads of really interesting spurious correlations. That's where two things go up and down at the same rate, but they are in fact largely unconnected. Or there's a multitude of other factors that are independently affecting both mm -hmm. in the same fashion. So the common spurious, con uh, spurious correlations are on the west coast of America, uh, shark attacks and ice cream sales go up and down at the same rate. <laughs> Ta-da! We all know why. Yeah. Okay? Um, we know that because of sunshine. And we can make that link very, very easily in our heads. But in the absence of knowing that that's the case, you might be inclined to draw relationships mm. between the two. Another one that I saw, really lovely graph, the one was cheese consumption and nighttime murders. <laughs> think about it. Think about you know it's it's and it's it's just one of those things that these things seem to be trending up and down at the same time, but you you can't say that A is causing B. You mm. just don't know, <clears throat> and that should worry people. Now, just because something's correlated doesn't mean it's not also causative. It is possible mm. to do it both ways, but then you get to the fourth fact, and the fourth fact is the most depressing one of all. There is no good evidence at all that intralipids, blood thinners, steroids, any of the other reproductive immunomodulators, uh, Humira, hydroxychloroquine, endometrial scratch, all of these, there is not one bit of good evidence that says they increase your chance of having a baby. And that should always be your starting point. It shouldn't be, is there a... We can ask in the background, is there a theoretical basis for this? But this should never really be pushed out to people until we're very comfortable in saying, this will increase your chance of having a baby. And we have oh, data we, we, to we, back that up. We do, and we keep doing that. So what happens is, <clears throat> somebody has an idea, a genius idea, an idea about interlipids, an idea about the scratch, about something. And they look at it in a small population. They look at it in a very small, possibly not a brilliant trial, but retrospective trial. They do it a little bit. And in small numbers, you know what? I did it on 10 patients and I thought only three of them would get pregnant. Actually, six of them got pregnant. That's fantastic. That's a 100% increase in implantation rate over what I expected to see. This looks great. All that should really do is trigger other people to repeat that study mm. on a bigger controlled stage. Unfortunately, a lot of the time what happens is that doesn't happen. It gets commercialized and pushed out and used. And I'll put my hand up and say, we did this, I've done this for years. Yeah. I would always try to preface it by saying, the evidence is that this may not make any difference. It's something that some clinics use. This is the theory why you break down everything that I've just said to you here. What do you think? And of course the answer is, well, yeah, I'm going to do it. I've only got one embryo left. Yeah. I'm only going to do one more cycle. Yeah. I'm 40 years old. I've got a 20% chance of success as it is. Of course I'm going to do everything. Mm. So you have a responsibility as a medical practitioner, as any healthcare practitioner, when you start talking about something, even if how you're talking about how they shouldn't do it, you're creating noise. You're creating demand. Mm. And you're creating desire for it. Uh, even if it's not your intention. So... While, I mean, I've spent seven, eight years having these difficult conversations with people where I'm really not sure of the value of it, but I want to do right by the person. It's not malicious. You want to do right by the person in front of you. But in your heart of hearts, you know this isn't going to be the deciding factor in, yeah. in, in the cycle. So intralipids, exactly the same story, came along with a lot of fanfare, uh, looked to be useful and has largely now dropped off a cliff. Very few people are using them anymore. Mm. I don't think they're of any value whatsoever. Okay, and that was one of the other questions was about the endometrial scratch. Again, who is coming up with these names? Because <laughs> well, that sounds awful. 
Okay. Like it, awful. It, it does <laughs> until you until everybody I spoke to seemed to think that what it does is creates a little furrow in the room, mm. like uh, like ploughing a field that the embryo can go into. That's pretty compelling. That sounds good. I could get behind that. Endometrial scratch is one of the wonderful examples. And I might have said this on one of the earlier episodes, but it bears repeating that it was a British Sunday paper. Can't remember. It's the Independent Times. I'm not going to speak to it because I can't remember which one it was. Had an article years ago, around 2013-ish, saying revolutionary new procedure in IVF increases success rates by 200%. And then four or five years later, another same paper same he- uh, different headline saying clinics charging money for unproven intervention with no clear evidence of benefit and both articles were about endometrial scratch yeah and as a practitioner that's what you're up against if you're if you're in a clinic and you've got 10 patients to see in a day say and five of them six of them seven of them ask you Tell me about this thing called endometrial scratch. Mm. You exhaust yourself explaining why they don't need the endometrial mm. scratch. And maybe, who knows, maybe they did. Maybe there's a little bit of evidence. Back in 2013, we did think this was a mm. good idea. Now, we thought that was a good idea because we didn't wait for the big trials to happen. Yeah. But big trials are really difficult to do in fertility because people get timed out. Yeah. So I could tell you, you know, oh, well, listen, there's this thing. It might be a benefit. It might not. I'll be able to tell you in five years. You're like, I don't have five yeah, years. I need to so do it now. I need to do yeah. it now. So you do it. Mm. So it means we wind up making an awful lot of noise for things that aren't of benefit. And what you're really hoping with each new one is that this is the one that's going to stick. Yeah. This is the one that's going to last. Yeah. And I have been nothing but disappointed in that space. Yeah. The, thing, the things that have made a difference, ICSI, injecting sperm into eggs, vitrification, fast freezing of eggs and embryos, they make a difference. They're, they're really useful. Proper media going to day five. Even time-lapse imaging, which is something we do. So the evidence, it's a nicer incubator. But mm. if you put a gun to my head and said, does this mean I'm more likely to have a baby? Uh, the answer is, I don't know. I, yeah. I understand how theoretically it should. And I'm really comfortable saying it's definitely not worse. Yeah. This has to, can only be better. There's really no downside. Yeah. But that's why we're using it. That's why we've built into the cost of the cycle. Yeah. To avoid people having to make that decision of, do I put my embryos into this newer incubator yeah. or not? And as time goes by and we get better and better and better at assessing the embryos that go through the incubator, it will, I feel confident, show benefit. But I'm very comfortable saying we're not financially hurting people. Mm. It's the same cycle either way for them. Yeah. And that's why I can stand over it. If I was if I was to charge a premium on top of it, it makes it slightly more difficult because I can't with my hand absolutely on my heart say, This is going to increase your chance of having a baby. Yeah. I just don't know that I can't say that. Yeah. Well, because the data's not there. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder is that why, you know, the fertility field is you know littered with all of these yes. add-ons is it the time factors because people don't have the time to wait I, I think it's a huge part of it yeah. i think the time factor is an absolutely huge part of it i mean i think the accusation has been made many times that fertility has been heavily commercialized that it's owned by big large companies that are just interested in making a buck so by bringing a new product to market. It's a USP, it's a unique selling point. It's something you're offering that the other clinics aren't offering. So it makes you more attractive. It gives you a revenue stream. I mean, if you're gonna use a time-lapse incubator, those things ain't cheap. Mm. You're looking at a quarter of a million to buy one of them, you know? So it's a huge, if you've got an established clinic running already, it's a huge investment to bring that in. That money's gotta come from somewhere, I understand that. So it's it's how you deliver it and on the ground, I think you've got practitioners who aren't malicious. I really don't think that there are venal malicious people who, who are selling deliberately going out there selling snake oil. I think it's all really, really well intentioned. But there is a financial, emotional and psychological cost mm. to the patient, especially to bring it back to something like reproductive immunology. The idea that somebody who's had one or two miscarriages, which could be a very normal part of a woman's reproductive life, could have a test and somehow be told or believe, I cannot have a baby. I cannot be a mother 
because I have these cells. I have these cells. I have this this problem. And until such a time as this problem is fixed, and it may or may not be able to be fixable, mm. I'm barren, essentially. It's horrific. It's in, it's not true. There's loads and loads and loads of instances of people with roaringly high natural killer cells having babies happening all the time out there. Yeah. Of course it is. So it's just simply not true to be as absolute as that. But that's how people interpret it. And the self-loathing and guilt and shame and recrimination that come with that, that far outstrips the cost of intralipids or the cost of an endometrial biopsy or the cost of a blood test or anything like that. They're in there, but the knock-on effect is enormous. Yeah. These people need to be minded and helped, not yeah. not be made guilty and ashamed of, of this thing that they feel they've no control over. Yeah. Okay, so another, another one that is very commonly kind of used and anyone who's gone through any sort of fertility treatment probably has either tried this or been told to try this and mm -hmm. that is acupuncture yes now i love acupuncture and i've done it for various things um but what about increasing your chances of success at ivf again that's controversial there isn't a huge amount of strong data on it there was a nice trial that came out in australia a couple mm -hmm. of years back and it's a few years old now where they did a randomized control trial and they took people going through fertility treatment and on half of them they did acupuncture mm -hmm. and on half of them they did sham acupuncture which involves sticking needles in but not at the pressure points yeah, or not the, the, correct, the, yeah. the, the, correct, the correct areas. They did not notice or did not see any statistical difference in blastocyst formation rate, that's good embryos, in pregnancy rates and implantation rates or in live birth rates between the two groups. Now. What they did find throughout the course of their studies and asking questions is that people who engaged positively with acupuncture had a much easier time of it in the cycle. Mm. They had lower depression rates after a negative cycle. Mm -hmm. They had less anxiety through the cycle. They had to take less time off work. Every other metric for them was Boosted. better. Yeah. Boosted, yes. Yeah. They were happier, better adjusted people going through a very difficult time of their life than people who didn't. Now, I think the key there is they engaged positively with acupuncture. You've already said mm. something that you liked acupuncture. Yeah. I've tried acupuncture. I did not care for it. Mm. I'm twitchy. Yeah. <laughs> See this. Um, so I can't lie there and, and have that done to me. I've tried it. Didn't take. And that's okay. For me, I think what's critical, and I think this... This, this speaks to it in this space that you need to, when you're going through something as stressful and all-encompassing as fertility treatment, you need to find some degree of balance in your life. You need to be able to get out of your own way. For years, I asked couples, and women especially, the question, what do you do that's just for you, that you look forward to, that's the highlight of your week? Mm. The answers so depressing I got a range of TV sit down in the evening half the time I got work is very stressful I was like that's the opposite to the question I asked you <laughs> wow you know I just asked you what's the good thing and you've immediately yeah, yeah, yeah. gone to the bad but everybody is full of good intentions everybody is full of good intentions. i'm going to finish work i'm going to go for a walk in the evening mm -hmm. i'm going to go to the gym i'm going to get my endorphins boosted i'm going to take time for myself i'm going to do this and the other and life gets in the way of that and especially when you're busy with work and you're busy with fertility treatment life gets especially in the mm -hmm. way and your your intentions fall by the wayside and you don't have any protected time one of the advantages of something like acupuncture is it's a booked metric appointment mm -hmm with an associated cost for attendance or non-attendance so you make the effort yeah and you make the effort and you go and you get out of the house and you get away from the people you love time apart is as important as time together yeah um and and you get out of your own way and i think there's a real strength to that but if acupuncture isn't your bag if you don't like that take that hour and do something else with yeah. it but it has to have structure on it mm. It has to be something you do with another human being almost because otherwise you'll find an excuse. Not to do it. There we are. Yeah. There we are. So, I mean, for me, it's board games. I play board games every mm. week. I go over to a friend's house and we play board games, like complex board games. <laughs> like, I love that you had to clarify. So, well, it's not Monopoly, please. Uh, uh, no, it's complex, complex board games. But 
that gets me out of my own way. And on those weeks that I miss it for whatever reason, I'm more stressed. Mm. I'm even twitchier, which mm. is which is terrible. And I just think we have we have all have busy, busy, busy lives. Mm. And yeah. acupuncture, reflexive, it lives in that space where it forces you out of your own way. Is that was that your experience with it? That you just liked the time away as much as anything else? Or yeah. I think I think so. And for any of these kind of therapies, like I love going for massage or, you know, anything like that, because it just forces me to be still, yeah. not be on my phone, not be talking to anybody and not doing anything. And yeah, I think that's probably why I really enjoy that type of um, activity. You know, my wife is the opposite. She does not like any of that. Um, so what would she do to get out of her own way what would she do? She'd probably like she loves working out and like yeah. y- like doing like even doing like an online class or something and I, just like sweating and not thinking about things. I mean, this isn't a particularly revelatory thought, but I mean, getting away from your phone and I'm a complete addict, so I'm the last person who should be saying this. Uh, probably not a bad idea. Yeah. Doom scrolling on the screen is just yeah silly. Yeah, and I guess especially when you're going through fertility treatment or thinking about it chances are you're going to be part of a lot of different groups online you're going to be on forums you're going to be you know googling all of the things that could potentially go wrong all of the things that could potentially help Um, and that's where a lot of this comes from Um, you know people talking about these things that could potentially help and then if you you hear it from someone and and then anecdotally they had success you're going to want to do it. And I mean, I think <clears throat> you've, you've touched on something that's really important as well is online groups and online forums. I think they're wonderful mm. spaces where larger, where disparate individuals can meet other people who are going through the same thing where they wouldn't have accessed that before. And it's a tremendous source of comfort, mm. support and information. So I think it's fantastic. And I think the good far outweighs the bad mm. in that space. There's the but. But you don't see moderate views generally expressed you see support yeah you see comfort yeah and you see certainty Mm. you see certainty that this worked for me so you should do it you don't see you don't get a kind of a measured conversation yeah you you would get you know um and again it's understandable when it's people's own experience you know you you feel very strongly about that but you know reading that you know if someone wears a particular type of socks on the day of their embryo transfer that that's why it worked yeah. because they didn't do that the last time and it didn't work the last time so yeah. And yeah. I mean the front part of their brain knows that might just be a superstition all this yeah. try taking their socks away from them and see how you get on get a box in the face <laughs> yeah <laughs> the other fun thing about online forums is googling yourself as a fertility doctor on them is uh, please tell me you don't do that <laughs> it's been done in the past you have to for, you've got to see you've got to get, look <clears throat> not everybody gets it right all the time I certainly don't yeah. don't say I do, and I think all clinics, all organisations have an opportunity to learn. You mm. learn more from your mistakes than you ever do from your victories. And if you're lucky and you're not doing something right, somebody will complain, okay, and say this isn't going as well as it should for whatever reason. This yeah. this bit of technology isn't working. This communication pathway mm. isn't isn't right. That person wasn't compassionate mm. enough. That person was too quick. That person was mm. too slow. What have you? There's a module. If you're lucky. They'll say it, but they probably won't. Mm. Nine out of ten of them won't. Mm. Maybe they'll say it on a forum. Yeah. And the first thing you should do with any complaint or criticism, always, is assume that they are correct. Yeah. Just assume it's correct. Just as a useful thought exercise, right, they're right. And then we start from first principles that they're right. And what did we do? How do we arrive at this situation? Now, you might after a period of just go, do you know what? I can understand where they came from, but actually I think the process is solid and stable and safe and I can see why it didn't work here but I don't think it's a process flow or even an individual fault or sometimes you go you know what you need to pull your socks up individually or as a culture or as an organization go we need to do better here here but the best thing to do internally is just assume that they're onto something that you've been given an opportunity to make it better better. yeah you know and take it yeah so yeah you got to check that stuff out online yeah as an aside, just don't generally Google your name. It's not a, not a good thing. Well, to try do. being called John Kennedy. I'm hardly <laughs> the first hit. <laughs> of course, you you would be you'd be very much the first hit on your name, wouldn't you? Yeah, let's 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 not go there. <laughs> Most of it's nice. Some of it's not nice. But yeah, that's that's that's, 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 that's the internet. That's so. exactly how it was was when yeah. yeah most of it's 
thankfully yeah. very positive yeah. and he was nice and I liked him and he was very straight and some of it was less positive <laughs> and I think one person oh, I just you know didn't get it didn't warm to him and the comment below was I know what you mean oh it's bad. I just died a little bit <laughs> I know but, what you, you know, mean you can't, I know what you mean I know just me sure so, so do I <laughs> but, uh, you know what you're gonna do you're not gonna you're gonna see yeah. you're gonna you can't be all things to all people no, so that, absolutely that's okay not. yeah for sure. Okay. Um, another common kind of myth is that infertility is the fault of the woman in a heterosexual relationship. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know as so much that's a, a, a myth as a socially accepted norm um, mm. by by women. And I think obviously they're wrong. The core statement is that 45 to 50 percent, probably close to 50 percent of Couples subfertility. There's a male factor involvement yeah. uh, to some some degree. So, um, yeah, get both parties checked. Yeah. At the front end. And I mean, I think really of, this is a statement of the bleedingly obvious. Try to avoid, you know, blame. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're not helping. Let's. I mean, guys tend to drop into solution mode when a when a mm. semen analysis is low. Is what can I do about this? And how if I can't do anything, how do we how do we fix this? You know, it really isn't. It's 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 a you plural situation. Yeah. Let's let's get you plural pregnant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, um, another kind of common maybe conception or misconception is that women in their twenties, so or even like early thirties, thirty five below just don't kind of run into fertility issues yeah. and if you're really young yeah and i think i think fertility practitioners and clinics have been guilty of perpetuating that with the common line i know i've trotted out more than once women tend to hold their fertility up until the age of age 34 or 34 to 40 uh, is when it drops and 40 onwards is when it drops sharply and this might be a true statement but it's all on a curve mm. Certainly, I think the the old dad joke is having children is hereditary. If your parents didn't have any kids, chances are you won't either. <laughs> um, but fertility issues do run generationally. So things like endometriosis, things like fibroids and all that, they can have a familial or genetic component to them. So if your mother or your sisters struggle to conceive, then it's chances are you might mm. as well. Or you might have an underlying condition and having an awareness of that. And while you might say, look, 95, 98% of people who are 29, women who are 29 years old will have a perfectly normal AMH. That's it's probably not that high even. But that's fantastic. But that's somebody's going to get disappointed with the assumption that they're in the big group yeah. when, when they're not. So keeps going back to the old mantra, get checked, get tested. If it's normal and you're not trying to conceive and you're young and healthy, fine. Yeah. Fine. That's it. You know, don't even worry about it. Uh, but if it is a problem, then at least you know. Yeah. Knowledge is power. The earlier you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but let's go back to it. <coughs> Using supplements yep. can increase your chance of success. <coughs> this one is when you're getting really into, really lost in the weeds because yeah. um, there's some core supplements like folic acid, which we know are of benefit. No question. Should be taking folic acid. Should be taking it for three months at least before you try to get pregnant reduces neural tube defects, spina bifida, etc. Vitamin D is probably not a bad idea. There's some reasonable-ish evidence that vitamin D is useful and it's very cheap, very cheerful. So I don't mind vitamin D. After that, you're into the antioxidants. Now, antioxidants, CoQ10 and vitamin E and selenium and zinc and the other antioxidants, they're the best thing ever, apparently. Um, we're all going to live forever if we just get enough antioxidants into us. It stops DNA breakdown, extends your telomeres. You're going to live forever. Uh, listen to Joe Rogan for a while. Um, you know, and we're all we're all going to live forever if if we get enough antioxidants into ourselves. And the idea of supplementation is that you can boost your egg quality, your sperm quality. You can change everything. The fundamental problem is. If your diet and lifestyle are healthy, you are really going to get very, very little, if any benefit at all, from supplementation. If your diet and lifestyle are not healthy, you need to fix that. Supplements aren't going to cover it mm -hmm. for you. So supplements are only used by people who don't really need them or people who really need to do something else far more fundamental. Yeah. And that's the problem. But I think supplements, more than anything else, goes back to that control issue mm. i can take this and and it'll add 
and of course as a practitioner being on the other side of the of the table you're saying think should i take supplements and you don't want to row. you don't want to take away from the person who's invested in this process you don't want to be mean so you got look yeah go for your life you can take some supplements that's fine you were reasonably sensible as a couple when you went through your cycles yeah like we were kind of just taking like a multivitamin i okay. think i don't we we didn't Perfect. go down down that road a huge no i don't say significant i'd say a large proportion of women who are going through fertility treatment will have one shelf of one press devoted tablets supplements for their cycle maybe half of them will be you have to start spoon feeding their partner yeah you know who really doesn't want to take them at all and compliance becomes an issue on that Mm. side and you're forcing them to take take all these tablets because he has to do this and then you're taking all them and the problem is you're only ever going to add you're never going to subtract. Yeah, so, so if you start taking them, you start off that's with it. folic acid. Then you're you hear somebody who said took who took coq10, so you're on that. And then you hear somebody else who took DHA, so now you're on that. And you say, well, do you know what? You just need a combination multivitamins. So you're on that as well, but you're not going to go up the other three because you know what? Well, if you took it away and then it didn't work, you're going to blame it on the thing you took away. Absolutely, and sure. Yeah. You know what? Won't yeah. do any harm. Might do some good. Mm. And before you know it, you're taking twenty pills a day. Yeah just supplements yeah and i do i do know a lot of people like that of course and i can understand how it's happened Mm. but trying to drag people out of that hole can be can be difficult can be challenging and it's much more important they have a rounded well balanced diet. if somebody wants to take a multivision go for your life i'm not gonna we're certainly not gonna fall out over it but i don't want people to become wedded to the notion that this is going to be the deciding factor of success or failure when it comes to a treatment yeah and i think that's a really hard one though because like not only the the cost because like they it can start getting very very pricey when you're ordering things in from abroad and you know um but it's it's that notion of like if it doesn't work then i have to feel like i've done everything i can but like there's always going to be another supplement oh absolutely no so even if it gets to a point it still doesn't work you're going to then be questioning yourself like did i take enough supplements or yep. should i have done more yeah and ultimately it'll be about to an extent who you listen to mm. who you glom onto, whose opinion you respect yeah. in in this and that will probably tragically be more governed by anecdote than by science yeah you know yeah i can talk to the cows come home about how dhea isn't of any real value in terms of increasing live birth rates but I'm shouting into the wind if I'm talking to somebody whose friend had two negative cycles, took DHA and then had a baby. Yeah. I'm wasting my time. Yeah. She's not going to listen to me. Mm-hmm. What do I know? I wasn't there. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it, I, I, I respect it. I get it. But you've got to be. Yeah. True. Sure. Okay. Another thing that often gets banded around is the idea that if you've had a child naturally, mm-hmm that it's just going to be easy the second time and you wouldn't suffer from infertility or what is known as secondary infertility. Secondary Secondary subfertility. So certainly this can happen and things can change and there can be anatomical changes Mm -hmm. and maybe the process of pregnancy or childbirth in certain rare circumstances can can have an impact on people's subsequent fertility. Sperm counts can change certainly Mm -hmm. as well over time. So certainly if you've had a child or a pregnancy there are certain things that are off the table as a root cause yeah okay i know there's definitely genius that i am an ovary and a uterus and something's working you know that there's mechanisms there that are definitively working which are unlikely to substantially or massively change from a gross anatomical point of view but as a general rule if somebody's struggling to conceive irrespective of whether or not they have conceived or not before my loadout is very very similar in terms of testing because things can change Mm. and it's reassuring that you've had a child or had a pregnancy before and there's comfort and statistical comfort that i take from that but you still have to run your first principles so yeah if you just because you've had a child before doesn't mean you can't run into problems and equally just because you haven't had a child before and need to do fertility treatment doesn't mean you can't get pregnant spontaneously. Sure. I've seen a lot of people yeah, yeah, where yeah. kind of go, oh, well, no, I needed IVF. So the I'm fact that I needed need, IVF yeah. means that's contraception. No, it's not. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's a good way to get a, a much loved but somewhat accidental pregnancy. <laughs> um, 
Okay. These are some more fun ones. <laughs> I'm pretty sure none of them are going to be fact-based. Okay, super. <laughs> um, yeah, and have you heard of this? That wearing like warm socks throughout the two-week wait can increase your chance. I'm biting my tongue because my immediate response, <laughs> my, my every fire we've got, oh yeah, no, that's absolute. That's all I want to say. And what? what? I mean... Wrap up warm. That's a good idea. That's good <laughs> advice. Why am I telling people go around with cold feet? I hate having cold feet. That sucks. So um, is it something to do with like the feet being linked no, to the uterus, like in in Chinese medicine? I am not pretending to know everything. Yeah, I know of no evidence that links warm warm and or cold feet with increased. Well, I mean, wear socks don't go around barefoot I'm sh constantly shouting at my children put some socks on and then they Headline, put socks on Dr. Kennedy advises patients <laughs> but, to go barefoot also, don't don't I mean put some socks and if you're going to wear socks wear some shoes otherwise you're just going to fall when you're going down the stairs and have to pick you up and deal with it um, so uh, that's a that's a, an it's interesting one it's an interesting one. one isn't it I mean I haven't immediately said that sounds bananas and it does sound a bit bananas to me and that will be taken as well. That seems like a good idea. Then I yeah. mean, don't have cold feet, but yeah. I don't There's think it's no relevant. Scientific no, no, not that I'm evidence. aware of. Not that I'm aware of. I do think it is a good idea to stay comfortable through your two-week wait. But I, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, wow. Have you heard about pineapple? No. Okay, well, and I'm 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 interested that you haven't heard about no, this. No, I've heard was... I've heard about turmeric. I've heard about omega three. I've heard about a lot of things, but yeah. pineapple, no. What's, what's, so, what is it? Okay, so apparently pineapple like has something in the core mm -hmm. that can, I don't know, it does something and it, it, yeah, it just in increases your chance of an embryo implanting. Seriously? So the within theory. the IVF community, a lot of times people will like get t-shirts printed of like pineapple for their for their I transfer did. or if they're a pregnancy announcement, it will be like the pineapple is like the symbol. I, I can't believe not, you haven't heard this. I did not know this at all. Um, that's definitely one that we both, did, like we both ate pineapple throughout our treatment. But also we like pineapple. Well, pineapple's tasty. Yeah. So, you know, why wouldn't you? I can't believe you hadn't heard that one. I mean, obviously, what? Yeah. I so mean, apparently it's... it has bromelain, bromelain, that has anti-inflammatory properties. There you are. Great word. And... Yeah, so if you heard yeah. that, you'd be like, well, it's anti-inflammatory, Inf so of Inflammation course. sounds bad. Yeah. Oh, I don't want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I want anti that. I want anti that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah okay. not, a, not all the takers on the pro-inflammatory. Okay, uh, have you of heard of drinking pomegranate juice? Yes. Okay, so apparently that's to do with increasing the, the, line, the uterine lining. Yeah, I mean... I remember when I was doing obstetrics, the number of things, you know, was it raspberry leaf tea and things? Well, definitely raspberry leaf tea. Yeah. Oh, I did okay, all the things. Hang, hang on. When you said definitely raspberry, does that mean you think raspberry leaf tea puts you into labor? Because it doesn't. I mean, you might go into labor, but you probably have a term pregnancy on board. So there's a decent chance it's going to happen at some point. Well, on both of my pregnancies, uh -huh. I was induced. So I'd say the raspberry leaf tea and the curries and the, what was it? Is it dates? Is it dates or is it, what is it? Well, is it a date, date well, smoothie? Well, for a heterosexual couple, it's a different kind of date, but it's supposed <laughs> to uh, increase the chances. There might be something in that actually, but prostaglandins and whatnot. But, so uh, funny. Um, yeah. Do I believe? No, I don't know. I don't. Like if you ask. Hang on. Let's, let's, okay, let's, let's carve let's, into this a little bit, just this. for a moment, because we've been. We've been talking a lot about superstition and mm. beliefs and all the rest. And you're a rational person. I am. What's your basis for thinking that raspberry leaf tea? Because enough people have said it. So there's probably something there, right? I suppose for, for me, now, I will say I don't believe that it works. Mm -hmm. But I, I believe enough that it's cheap and I like drinking tea. And it's something that people do. So is raspberry leaf tea something you have been drinking since? Absolutely not, because I don't, I don't have, I don't need to go into labor. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> isn't that really, and I'd be as guilty as everybody yeah, yeah, else yeah. about this, but isn't that really interesting? Now, that's a situation where you know you're going to get induced and it's all going to yeah. work out and you're just feeling very pregnant and yeah, you yeah, just yeah. want it to be over and all yeah, the rest yeah. of this Now, imagine the ball of anxiety that is fertility treatment. Mm. 
and the hope that can come with something there. It doesn't take much to become very, very wedded to something without any actual evidence behind it. Absolutely. And all of that said, maybe raspberry leaf tea does help. Yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm saying the evidence says that it doesn't. Or there is no evidence. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I, but I, yeah, I suppose but when I, something is so cheap and everyone seems to be doing you know it. What? Won't do any harm. Won't yeah. do some good. Yeah. See, mm. this is where it keeps coming back to. So, you know. Yeah. So I guess the tricky thing is when you're starting to do interventions that do cost money and do. Every, yeah. Everything has a cost. Yeah. Be it, and raspberry leaf tea is, is cheap. Mm. So it's at the lower end of the involved spectrum, obviously. Yeah. You know? But there's still a cost there. Yeah. I don't think it's it's enough that you'd have bother having a conversation or a row about yeah, it. Yeah. Go for it, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, but where does that line draw stop and it's different for yeah. everybody? Interesting. So what was the hang on? We had got I'm a hypocrite. What was it? Is it what was, we've what we've so, learned. So pi- pineapple. Well, aren't we all? I mean, uh, pineapple. Yeah. Um, again. Yeah, pomegranate is what we were saying. I pomegranate, I yeah. I hadn't heard of that. Oh, I've heard of pomegranate. Yeah, I've had that. Said to what me. other ones have you heard of? Turmeric, omega three. And what is turmeric supposed to do? It's a spice. I think I don't. No, but like tur- turmeric oh. is great. Like, and I I, you know, like using it in cooking. So um, improve air quality. That was all why? 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 Why oh, is it said please. to do that? I mean, oh, is it probably because the anti-inflammatory? Why not? Thing being trotted why, again? Okay. I don't know. I gen- no, I don't know. And to be fair, I didn't do a whole lot of digging into it except to go, okay. Look, I'll spend a little while finding yeah, yeah. finding any papers on it. Of course, there are. There, there isn't yeah. anything else there. Um, I think it's pretty fair, and this is something I've said to an awful lot of patients over the years. You can Google a noun and mm. type egg quality in beside it, and you're probably going to get some manner of a hit. And that goes for anything. If you want to find something on the internet, you will probably find if to support your yes. your yes. theory, you yes. will probably find yes. it. And I think it's really important to say, I'm not saying I'm right. Mm. Okay? And it's entirely possible that going forward there's things that I may miss out on, at least in the early stages, which are of value. Yeah. But everything I've seen over the last decade or two decades in, in obstetrics and gynecology and fertility, last decade in fertility, has suggested to me that the cost far outweighs the benefit mm. for these things. Yeah. Okay. Um, another one, it was Brazil nuts. Why? Sel- what do they do? Selenium? Oh, yeah. Antioxidants. Yeah. Live forever. Yeah. So the, a lot of them just link back to the antioxidants, uh, yeah, antioxidants anti-inflammatories. Anti-infl- anti-inflammatory, antioxidants, yes. And of course, that all sounds really reasonable. It's incredibly yeah. compelling. Yeah. It really is. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's very hard to argue against. Yeah. And you feel like a, a reactionary when you mm. are arguing against it. And it's why, it, I'm kind of repeating myself, but it's at the core of it why... In an ideal world, what you would love to have is a really good conversation that takes hours or days or weeks or months with everybody to get them around to your point of view. That's not practical. So I'm keeping things simple. I'm keeping things evidence-based, scientifically based, success-focused, efficient and effective. Mm. And I know that won't be for everybody. I've already spoken to a couple of patients over the last few weeks who I know, look, they don't want to pick up what I'm putting down. They don't like your approach and that's fine. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Because we're really clear at the front end, yeah. this is what we'll deliver. Yeah. And I think we will live or die by our service and our success. And mm. I'm very happy to do mm. that. Um, and if you don't go, there's plenty of people out there who'll do that, who yeah. will hew more to your worldview or, or, or anything like that. But um, it makes it easier and clearer and more defined for those people who do get on board. Yeah. And allows it just makes it. It's simple. more simple, simple and more and simple streamlined. Is, simple is better. Just, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Final one. Ooh. And um, this kind of makes sense to me. After an embryo transfer, uh-huh. that you need to stay still and elevate your legs. Oh, absolutely. No. <laughs> so no. that's not true. So there's a thing we do with IUI, intrauterine insemination, mm. that I always do. Not everybody does it. Yeah. Um, where you have the patient on the bed and their legs are up in the stirrups and you've got the little remote control for the bed so you can make it up and down tilted and I always tilt their head down yeah 
And as I do it, I always exactly say, like, this doesn't make a lick of difference, but I find it very entertaining. And I do. <laughs> um, and, and Do you, you know, tell them that you're about to do this or do you just do it? Um, <laughs> you say, you're about to get from flipped. Oh, it's, not, it's not a sudden thing. It's, a, it's like giving a dentist chair. They don't tell you when it's going up or down. No, I'm okay with that. Um, so we know that you can get pregnant if you have sex standing up. Yeah. So just be aware of that. Um, so no, that the way the whole system works is that the sperm goes in and it doesn't, it's, it's not gravity. It's not going to fall out. The joke I used to always make, this is just pathetic humor, is that after an embryo transfer, horse riding and trampolining is bad, but bungee jumping is good. Because <laughs> it's going the right way, you see? <laughs> yeah. Um, don't give up the day job. And you do that because people, you, you, you trot that line out because people are hyper anxious about what they can and can't do mm. after a treatment, after an IUI, after an embryo transfer. And the simple bottom line is you can just be a normal person. Activities yeah. of daily living carry on as normal. Of course, don't do stupid things like go horse riding. Yeah. That would be a bit insane. Yeah. But you're not going to shake the embryo out. When we do an embryo transfer, oftentimes the bladder is full so we can get a good view of the uterus and ultrasound. So they need to go to the loo. I know. And that's actually... I, it's terrifying, I right? really remember that vividly on all of my transfers because I had many transfers. But I always remember waiting for as long as I possibly could before oh. going and peeing yeah. because you you feel like you're going to pee it out or something. We've, we've established a few things in this but conversation today. scientific. Like, that's not possible. You you know, it's... Not. Yeah, that's not how it works. No, I'll draw you a picture. It's a, this is a primarily an auditory medium, so it's not going to work. But, uh, embryo, it's not in your bladder. Oh, I'll tell you what, there's no flies on you. Um, yeah, but you know that. And yet there you are, sitting in a cubicle, bursting to go to the loo. And not wanting to because you're yeah. afraid and you feel and like... And imagine yeah. if somebody came along and said, jeez, you nearly need to pee. Your adrenaline is spiking. Your cortisol is going up. That can't be helpful yeah, you'll yeah. freak out about that as yeah, well yeah, yeah. you don't have that degree of control mm. that's yeah. not how it this works that's, that's not, not how it. any of this works so once once the embryo is in it's kind of out of your hands exactly correct out of anybody's hands indeed it's either going to work or it's not exactly correct and i mean there are extreme behaviors that will can, can compromise that yeah but but there's nothing you can do other than being sensible yeah to to increase that chance so your worry your concern won't make it fail. Your yeah. hope, your optimism won't make it succeed. Yeah. So it it's either okay. will or it won't. It's okay. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I was on a, a flight a couple of hours after my go. my embryo transfer that did work the first so time. So many people are. Yeah. 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 Didn't affect it. Nope. Well, thanks so much for Super. the chats. Um, uh, again, important to say, I think for anyone listening to this, that this is not we're not coming for anyone. No, you no, know? and I'm not. And look, I'm just. I'm laying out my ducks. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. I'm saying, look, this is what we're, this is, this is what I'm, I like to think I'm backed up by certain international bodies. Mm. Uh, I like to think that the evidence is there to support me. Uh, in, in this opinion, I'm trying to be evidence-based. I'm conscious that I am not all things to all people. I'm mm. very conscious of there's gaps in my knowledge as well. Um, and I'm always open to a conversation and open to correction. I'm terrified of certainty. Yeah. Always. You know, so that's the one, one caveat I give you. But yeah, no, follow your own heart. Thank you. Thank you.